Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. In uh, James chapter 1, if you remember, uh, we introduced this a couple of weeks ago, and then last week we looked at uh, where is God in the earthquake. We were, in essence, looking at uh, that, that thought, where is God in these big picture things, these huge trials that our world, in essence, goes through. And I said it's actually between verse 1 and 2, and that uh, we would pick up this week where we ended last week, and that is when it gets personal. Not just looking at these big global things out there somewhere, but what about when it's in our life? How do we understand trials that we go through as Believers, And so, uh, beginning with the first verse, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let uh, steadfastness have its full effect. that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, but, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. And then down in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under, under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Father, we would ask now that you would apply your word to our hearts. You know exactly what's going on in our life. What we have faced this past week, and you alone know what we'll face next week. And so we ask you to prepare us, to enable us to see your good providence, even in difficult things. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I usually don't plug my own sermons, (laughs) but in one way, this is part two of last week being part one. And so, if you were unable to be here last week, you can uh, catch it on our podcast uh, or... um, you can get a CD of the message last week. We gave out a number of them uh, throughout the week, so uh, just let our office know if you would like a CD, but you can also go on our website and you can listen to it or uh, get it through the podcast. Uh, let's, let's take a look, though, at this as a continuation. Last week, in one way, was an, an introduction uh, to what James tells us, and as as we've said, 
He is, he is so practical. And uh, when, I, when I said how practical he is, it struck me that as I was beginning to study James again, where does he start? Well, he starts with trials. Why would he start there? Because of all of the things that he could possibly talk about, absolutely, trials is one aspect that, as he says here, every single believer will face. All Christ followers are going to face trials. Look at verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There's no other possibility. He doesn't say, look, if you should happen to have a trial, though it's unusual for Christians, well, then he, he doesn't do anything like that. He, right up front, leads us into that and says, look, when, when you face trials. Now, some of your versions may say temptations. Uh, it can be translated that way, but, uh, and there's another portion in this uh, uh, chapter that is talking about temptation that we think about, temptation to sin. This should be understood as trials that we go through, uh, difficult times, uh, those kinds of things that uh, test our faith. Now, let me give you some cautions. Uh, I'm glad you're here and you braved the weather, and uh, I, hope, I hope nobody was disappointed they had to come today. But if you were at home this morning, you could turn on the TV, I'm told, <laughs> I'm never home Sunday morning myself, but you could turn on the TV, and I know what's on there because I can see it other times of the day. There are preachers that will preach to their congregation, often very large congregations, often their poor congregations, but a lot of people are drawn to this, and they are preaching what uh, has sometimes been called the health and wealth gospel. Some call it the name it, claim it. Others call it the blab it, grab it, okay? But anyway, here's, here's what the gist of it is. They will say, look, you come to Christ and everything's going to be okay. You come to Christ, he will heal your diseases. He will heal relationships. You will advance in your job. I'm not exaggerating in this. These are all, all things that I have heard preachers say. And you can be wealthy because that's how God wants you to be. Now, I will say that that last part works for the preacher. Many of them are quite wealthy because of that kind of preaching. But that is nowhere found in the Scripture. And it is no comfort when it faces real life. I heard a man who had been in ministry many years, and he said, you know, when you become a pastor, you, you take off your rose-colored glasses. 
because of the kinds of things you see and you deal with every day and every week. I'd like to expand that. I, I'd like to say, you know, when you, when you come to Christ, you need to take off your rose-colored glasses because there are and there will be difficult things as long as we are in this life, as long as we live in a fallen world, there are going to be hard things. And that includes for Christ followers. And James is absolutely up front with that, as was Jesus, as is all of Scripture. Now look what he says about the trials. He says it's of many kinds, trials of various kinds. Uh, They're unwelcome, they're unsought, but they come in lots of different forms. Now, for the American Christian, a lot of times when we think of trials, we may think of uh, a loss of a, a loved one, we may think of illness, we may think of financial trials, relationship things, and so on. People in other parts of the world And that's one reason I like to travel. It gives a a different perspective. They're thinking often of different things. Some places it's hunger and disease. You know, if I preach this sermon today down in Haiti, you can imagine what they would be thinking about if I said, take joy in the various trials that you face. Various trials for them might be being without a home, might be having lost their whole family, might be having no place to worship, no job, no prospects, no food, no water, disease around. Helmut Tillichy, who was a German pastor and theologian, had taken an extensive tour of the United States, and someone asked him, uh, what, what is the greatest defect among American Christians? And what he said was, they have an inadequate view of suffering. We tend to be insulated here to what much of the world is facing. Now, I'm not minimizing trials that you're going through. This is where God has placed us. And in our lives, they are as serious but we also need to have the big picture because this is the word of God which is for all people in all lands. Pastor Kelly hit it right on the nose a couple of several weeks ago when he preached uh, along these lines. The temptation to say when we go into trials, well, what I do to deserve this? Why... Why me? Why is this happening to me? I heard an interview with uh, race car driver Kyle Petty's wife. Uh, She is a believer, and the interview had a lot to do with uh, them having lost a 20-year-old son who was also a race car driver, Adam Petty. And she had just a wonderful... Uh, attitude in terms of her, her trust in the Lord, even in this difficult time. But at one point, and I wrote this down immediately when I heard her say this, they were saying, well, is it, is it easier because you're a Christian? And she said, no, 
it's actually, it's actually harder being a Christian when things like this happen because what she said was, you've made all these godly deposits and then something like this happens. And my heart just sunk for her. To think that she was bearing that kind of a burden that if only I had made more godly deposits, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Now, I hope she doesn't believe that. I hope she learns that that's not the case. But that is far too often the thought. Why me? Why did I, what did I do to deserve this? How painful living it that way must be. And yet far too many think that way. It doesn't work that way. Trials are not about God zapping people who deserve it. That's not the way he works. And that is not the purpose of trials. We need to listen to James, who gives insight into the purpose of trials. Look at verse 3. It it tests faith. He says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. (coughs) So he equates the phrase test of faith in verse 3 with verse 2, the phrase trials of many kinds. What it means is these trials show whether one, uh, the, the one who's being tried is disposed to cling to his faith or flee away from it to apostasy. Um, in addition to being in the ministry, uh, you all have known me as a, a, a pastor, and uh, now for, uh, I've been a pastor for many years, but But in addition to that, I've also done some other teaching outside of the church. I've taught in a a Bible in a Christian school. I taught physical education when I was uh, in seminary. And I did some teaching for Covenant College's uh, Quest program. You, You know, a good teacher in giving a test is not testing, trying to see failure or to prove failure. But it's my conviction that a good teacher wants to prove knowledge, to prove what is known and to make sure that understanding is clear. You think God's a good teacher? Well, I do. And so, when he is teaching us, there is good reason for what he does. Now, here's the harder part. Verse 2, again, the Christ follower's attitude toward trials is one of joy. Count it all joy. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, you just said we ought to take off our rose-colored glasses. If you think you can go through trials with joy, then you have rose-colored glasses on. Well, let's talk about really what biblical joy is. Let's clarify. There is a difference between joy and happiness. 
uh, in Jesus' teaching. And by the way, our mission here is to help people joyfully know Jesus Christ, love him more and serve him better. But we define joy and we define it as different than happiness that usually depends upon circumstances. When Jesus, uh, in teaching in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's a trial, persecution. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on and says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then he says this, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See what he's saying? <clears throat> you're, you're under persecution. Rejoice because there is purpose in this. And look, also, you're in good company. There are those who have gone before you who have been through similar things for reasons as well. Paul, in uh, the book of Philippians, called the epistle of joy, he was in prison. There's a difference between happiness, think of Snoopy bouncing around, you know, and happy because of what's going on, and joy. Hebrews 12, verse 2 looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him. Now listen, it, it's about to connect joy with something that, humanly speaking, we have to think of as quite awful. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It wasn't about happiness for him. It was that deep, abiding joy. Not just an outward, surfacy kind of flippant happiness because of the circumstances. Joy is often, in fact, maybe we can say most of the time, in spite of circumstances. That's what biblical joy is. So if, so if you have read James before and and you've said, count it all joy when I go into trials, and, and you've just thought, well, I can't do that. I can't be happy about trials. Well, take, take courage. He's not saying, get happy, put on a smiley face. That's ridiculous. This is real life. He's saying, however, there is a joy, and it goes way deeper. And it abides even in these difficult times. So what did Paul and James know and Jesus that enabled them to have joy in trials? Well, in James verse 1, verse 3, the testing leads to endurance. It produces, as he says, steadfastness. It enables us to meet the trial better. You think of... Uh, an athlete maybe getting ready for a race. Every run, painful though it may be, 
is preparing them for the next run, for the next, and ultimately for the race. And that's what he's talking about here. It produces endurance, steadfastness. And further, it produces growth. Look at verse 4. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, there is something we should ask. Matthew Henry, a, a Bible commentator, scholar, said that when people go through trials, they often ask for strength to get through them, but they seldom ask God, what is it you want me to learn? Again, not that he is uh, uh, in, in some perverted way trying to inflict pain, but instead, we need to know that Trials have purpose. And if we are not to waste those trials, we ought to seek out, God, how is it you want me to grow during this time? What do you want me to learn? C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain writes, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain." It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so I I am convinced that it is legitimate for us to say, God, please don't waste this pain in me. Don't let me waste it. But teach me. Through this, will you make me what you want me to be? Will you give me endurance that I need for whatever you're preparing me for? Will you? And when we do that, we're acknowledging that he is a good God and he has good purposes for our life. Now, if we continue on in James here, he begins to talk about wisdom. And some people, and and you could easily just Start with verse 5 and start a new sermon and just talk about wisdom. But since it is right after and, in a sense, right before, verse 12, and in the middle of talking about trials, I want us to apply it to the trials here because he gives an offering of wisdom to us. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. I don't think this is limited to just when we are in trials. I think we can go to him for wisdom at any point, and we ought to, because he's the source of of all wisdom, of perfect wisdom. But certainly when we are in trials, once again, our tendency is to go for strength, and perhaps along with that, we should say, God, will you give me wisdom in in dealing with this? If you're struggling with how can I have joy in this, it says ask God and let Him give you wisdom of how you can experience His joy, the deep abiding joy, even in the midst of this trial. And verse 6 says that we ought to ask in faith. Let Him ask in faith. Now what do we ask for in faith? 
for healing, for relief, for escape. Those are frequent prayers. And I don't believe it's wrong to ask for any of those. But here I think James is saying, you may ask for those other things, but go to him for wisdom, for understanding, for perspective, for evidence of God's presence, for more faith. And he says, ask without a doubt. Verse 6, let him ask in faith for one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. John Bunyan uh, in Pilgrim's Progress, that, where that double-minded man, he talks about Mr. Facing Both Ways. That's a good picture. Because I do think it's here talking about a Christian, but a Christian who knows that he can only get salvation from God, but is somehow trying to endure these trials in his own wisdom and his own strength. Somehow not believing God's promises about these. Does it mean we can never have a doubt God won't listen to us if we ever have a doubt. Well, it can't be that because you look at Abraham and Moses and, and many of the great men, men and women of faith and they, they had times of doubt. But it's being double-minded, which is that pattern. It, it's, like, it's like listening to God and hearing his promise and then not believing what he's just said. It's like looking at God in the face and saying, I don't think I need your help in this. Now, why is that so serious? Well, we can't completely put ourselves in God's position, but if we, if we could try to imagine you stand face to face with someone and you receive a promise and that promise is even put into writing. And it's a promise from someone who always keeps it. And then you say, I don't believe it. How insulting would that be? And that's what this person is accusing God of being. One who breaks his promises. So, in terms of application, there's several ways to go with trials. And we see them all, even within the church. Some, when they go into trials, they experience an anger at God that may show itself at God or at others. And it never subsides. And it drives them away from God, and from the church. In all likelihood, that's the person in verse 8, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Or, another pattern is 
one may be, have disappointment, maybe anger with God that eventually turns to faith. I will say this about that. God understands if you find yourself there and, you, and yet you, you still desire Him and, and know Him. And you're, you're doing your best to hang in there with Him in His strength and in His power and in His, in his wisdom. He understands those feelings. You know how I know he does? Because I can understand them. And he's a whole lot more understanding than I am. God understands those feelings. Or there's the one whose faith grows. Because even while he doesn't understand the why, they know that God has a purpose and they trust him for it. The results, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. The crown earned by the Lord Jesus Christ. What glory And what a glorious promise this is. Did you ever, were you ever on one end or the other of that, the spanking statement? This is going to hurt you, or me rather, a lot more than it's going to hurt you. See, when I was a little boy, I heard it the first way. I never believed it, that it was harder for the parent. But, you know, as a parent, I do believe it. I I know it. I understand it. And so I believe that's the case with God as well. As we go through trials, he understands our pain. And he wants to use it for our good. The longer I'm a pastor, the more trials I walk through with people in the church, the more I believe the scripture in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Listen, if we have any doubt as to whether all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, we need to remember this. That not only does human suffering have purpose, the greatest, the greatest illustration of that is that the Father used human suffering for our redemption. He used the suffering of Christ in this life and on the cross for our redemption. And surely all of us would say, of course there was purpose in that, and the purpose was glorious. When you're in a trial, and you cannot see any purposes, ask for wisdom, but remember that in the greatest act of passion and that's the cross 
God had a glorious purpose in it. Jesus came into the world to take on the devastating earthquake in my life, that which shook my foundations, or the tsunami in my life, that which just overwhelmed me and surprised me, or the hurricane in my life that I saw coming, that I tried to prepare for, but still had to endure. Because there is purpose, and it is always to strengthen us, may God help us to count it all joy. Let's bow together.